Hi folks, I'm Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of Today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. This is a practical, no tinfoil hat type of survival prepping and self-reliance show. I keep it rooted in common sense. This is episode 266, and folks, I'm kind of talking out into the future. Because it's going to probably be about a week from now when this podcast gets released, because I just released episode 255 on uh, reviewing the 2014 preps that we did and, and how that how your past can affect your future. This year or this week we're going to talk about solar ovens. Okay? We're going to talk about solar ovens for episode 256. Not something I have a tremendous amount of experience with, but because I have such great supporters and listeners to this show and people that have a lot to offer, and so this podcast is really a team Effort. Mexican Joe from Northeast Texas Preppers interviews Amazon and let's see if I can get these names right. Okay, uh, Nancy and Tony Martineau. Pretty sure I got that right. Uh, Mexican Joe's going to reintroduce them when he gets into the interview anyway. But they're from Arizona and they've got plenty of, of, of good experience. They're, they're masters at solar ovens. And, you know, this whole interview kind of gets into some other topics too, but it's mainly about solar ovens. Now, I find it quite interesting because, you know, I, I find anything that, that goes solar quite interesting and a must. You know, we are so dependent on the grid. It is one thing that I worry about. Um, and we don't we don't want to be you know that dependent on the grid. I want to add something before I play this interview. I've already listened to it once, and I'm going to listen to it again for the second time with you. They do talk about a part where if the grid goes down, if we have cyber terrorism or something like that, you know you can't use your debit cards, you can't use your credit cards, they can't use electronic cash registers to ring up your purchases and things like that. This is one of the reasons why I'm so big on having cash. That's why I say cash is king. I'm a big believer in having cash and even small bills in cash, some large bills and some small bills, because you might not be able to go to the bank and withdraw money. And there's several reasons why you couldn't go to the bank and withdraw money, not just a power outage, but there's all kinds of reasons. So have some cash on hand. I carry a significant amount of cash with me. You know, maybe I shouldn't say that because, you know, if somebody that's listening to this show wants to do something bad, they may try to attack me and get my cash. However, I am always armed. So if you try to attack me and get my cash, um, good luck. You might be uh, in a little bit of trouble if you try to do that. But anyway, I wanted to add that part in here. So with without uh, any further ado, let me go ahead and put on the interview. This is about a four-way interview here. Four people talking about solar ovens. Okay, Mexican Joe back with Northeast Texas Preppers. Uh, here to help Bob out with another podcast. Um, today we're going to discuss uh, solar ovens, uh, what they are, how they work, and uh, we've got a couple of experts here. Uh, we've got Amazon's here. She's got a solar oven. She's had a few. Uh, hey, Amazon. Hey. And then we've got uh, Nancy and Tony. Is it Martineau? Martineau. Mm-hmm. Martineau, okay. And uh, you guys are preppers out of out of Arizona, and you guys together uh, have co-written a book called Post Grid. And uh, we're going to discuss that here in a little bit, too. Um, so, uh, you there, Tony? I am. Okay, good. Everybody's here. Okay. Um, so, 
I guess first off, I mean, I'm not, I don't know no, nothing about the solar ovens. I've, I've always thought that they were cool and they were a good idea. And then uh, Amazon got up here and, you know, she, she's had them and she uses them throughout the summer. Um, uh, Nancy, what kind of so, so sun oven do you guys have? Well, um, I started and mostly used my homemade one. Uh, oh, okay. We live here in Phoenix, so we have uh, about 300 days of uh, unimpeded sun. But just recently, we bought a sun oven. I uh, bought it used off of eBay and have loved using that uh, probably more than my uh, homemade one. It gets higher temperatures. Okay. And which who, who makes that one? Uh, that's Sun Oven. That's the brand. Okay. Is that the All-American Sun Oven? Yeah. Okay. Yes, okay. that is. Okay. And Amazon, that's what you've got, right? Um, this time, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, what if, what kind of stuff have you... Now, do you, you said... I know that Amazon was telling me that she cooks with hers throughout the summer. And why do you do that? Because I have more... Well, there's more sun and just to save on electricity and not heat up the kitchen. So you're using it to keep the oven from being turned on in the kitchen, right. heating up the kitchen, and then turn around your AC's got to work harder. Right, and we're out during the summer. We're outside so much, anyways. It's it just it's a lot easier to cook out there, and you know, just okay. like I told you in the summer, I wash clothes by hand so we can cut down on, on electricity and money. Right. What about what about you guys? How how do you guys use yours and when? Um, we use ours quite often. I'd say a couple times a week. And um, in the summertime, we never cook in the house. It can be 115 degrees here. And it seems like when you turn on that oven or that stovetop, it immediately increases the temperature in the house. So um, all of our cooking, whether it's grill, uh, crock pots, solar oven, whatever it is, we do it outside. There you go. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a unique thing to the to the southwest over there is it gets so hot. I've, I've seen when I was out there here years ago, I saw there's a lot of out, outdoor uh, backyard kitchens. Yes, um, I think there's less and less of that because they're more uh, urban. Yeah. And so um, less survival type, uh, more more prepper. Uh, I mean, more preppy. Uh, you know, money people. Yeah, so yeah. See, you see less and less of that. Yeah. It actually, it actually cuts both ways. In the in the older times, every house had a summer kitchen, and that was on the back porch, and it was separate and outside, so that you didn't kill everybody in the house with the extreme heat. What you're seeing now is um, a building of the backyard kitchen in the next to the pools, but that's um, that's going to be more affluent folks um, that have the money to do that, and that tends less to be about cooking outside than to having a party around the pool. Right, and that, that's what I saw. That's what I saw it was an outdoor kitchen. And coming from Los Angeles originally, I'd, I'd never seen that like that, and I just kind of thought that was cool. Uh, but yeah, I guess. I guess not everybody's doing it, but just a few I saw. <laughs> so, Nancy, what kind of stuff do you, I guess, since you guys use it all the time, I mean, between you and between you guys and, and Amazon, what do you guys cook? Uh, we cook anything in it that you can cook in an oven. Uh, baked potatoes, corn on the cob, um, any type of casserole. You can uh, cook rice. is wonderful in the solar oven. Uh, any type of casserole, like I said, and then uh, boxed foods. You know how you get those boxes of risotto or the boxes of um, um, scalloped potatoes or whatever. Anything right. like that can go right in there. Okay, so not not necessarily stove stuff, but all oven stuff. All oven stuff. Okay. Now, the other thing that we cook, and, and it will brown, is cookies and um, uh, like a slab of ribs. 
wonderful in the silver oven. Okay. Okay. What about what about breads and stuff like that? I mean, you mentioned cookies, but do do breads actually rise and work properly? Um, it depends on your solar oven. The commercial ones reach higher temperatures and do very well with bread. Our uh, homemade one, it was harder to uh, get enough temperature built up uh, to keep the bread from overrising the pans. Oh, okay. So if you have the commercial ones and you can get them to 350 before you put the bread in, you're fine. Okay. Yeah, because we, uh, uh, Grandma here, she started making bread, and she started out when she was making the bread, she was... She was putting the bread in the in the pan, and then when the bread would rise, it would overrise the pan, which to us was no big deal. But then you couldn't get it in a slicer. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so, true. So then she turned around and instead of doing whole loaves of bread, we just started doing rolls, and that's really kind of worked out a lot better. Wonderful. So, um, Amazon, what what other kind of stuff have you done? You you said you've done like roasts and um, stuff. I've done roast casseroles. I mean, in, anything that you can put in the oven, um, lasagna. A lot. I've used mine a lot for dehydrating. That's that's my favorite way to dehydrate foods and vegetables. See, yeah. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to try that uh, this this summer because we do a lot of hunting and we end up with a lot of meat. But I've just got a just a eight tray uh, typical round dehydrator. Um, I don't have the big fancy one, so but we have to have electricity for that. And with us. Um, Everything has to have a backup to the backup. I mean, I saw that uh, your book, Post Grid, is based on an EMP story, so we got to worry about no electricity and the solar oven and getting versed, and it's a very good way for everybody to do that. That's right. If you look on YouTube, there are many videos of uh, people using uh, solar ovens in the snow. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not about the temperature outside. It's about sun. the sun. That's correct. See, and I guess that's hard for some people to wrap their mind around it. You know, it can be, you know, 28, 30 degrees outside, but, you know, if it's a sunny day, if you think about it, it's actually kind of nice, but it's the inside temperature of the oven, not the outside. Right, and and I always make sure mine's got up to 300 degrees before I put anything in, which on a sunny day, that doesn't take any time. Like, it's just like you would preheat your regular oven right, inside. Right, right, okay. So that's, that's a neat little trick I guess I never thought of. And when uh, when Amazon just got her new one the other day, uh, this is her second one, I guess. Um, yeah, it's my second sun oven brand. It's my fifth solar oven, but it's my second sun oven because I wore, pretty much wore the other one out. <laughs> I was kind of amazed. I mean, we pulled it out of the box, and I figured there'd be some assembly and stuff, and there really wasn't. I mean, it just, it looked like the lid was on, and I had to try, I was helping her unpack it, and all of a sudden, it was like a little transformer, and this thing just opened up into a, a reflector dish. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, very easy to use, very easy to store. Yeah, now one of the guys on, on, on our page, uh, he's actually somebody that we uh, we met and we've been interviewing through uh, uh, Bob's show, uh, uh, Today's Survival Show, uh, uh, Mark the Noof. Uh, he, was, he was talking, we were kind of chatting back and forth with him about it. And one of the other guys had also mentioned that they're not that heavy. I don't think this is something you're really going to be carrying around. You can put it in an RV, you know, in a camper. They're Yeah, they're not that heavy, but some of the other ones I've had, they just literally folded up, and you could put it in a backpack. Okay. Have you guys had any experience with those? Um, we played around with um, one of the car reflectors, you know, that, that goes in the front windshield of the car. Okay. And you fold it into a funnel and put it 
put it into a five-gallon bucket. Okay. And then, and then you put your uh, pot down in there where the sun's shining on it. We had good luck with that. We tried that camping several times. Now, what do you do? Do you put a piece of plexiglass on top of it or something? No. Uh, it just directs enough heat into the uh, pan that actually has a lid. Um, we used a glass lid. And uh, it, it cooked the food right in the pan. Huh. So it's not going to do any high, high temperature sorts of food. Right. It would be low temp. Uh, what kind of stuff would you use that for? Anything that you would put in a crock pot and cook on low. Okay. So a lot of rewarming. You could use that easily to put your uh, dinty more stew in and then uh, warm it in the pan with no fuel. And remember, you, you don't have any cooking fire, so you don't have any smoke. So you have no and, signature. Um, yeah. And then uh, no danger of fire. You know, if you're in the woods, that type of thing either. Yeah. Now, one of the things that somebody brought up here one day that I was really amazed at, and it, I guess it goes in the same realm as this, is they brought up a huge uh, Fresnel lens. Mm-hmm. And apparently those are inside of every uh, flat screen TV, but this one's like 3 by 4 and she had a frame on it. And it was really neat. And it, I've still got it here, and it was really neat because she was showing me how it worked, and we just threw a cardboard box out in the out in the grass, out in the open pasture, and put the fresh, it's, it's a weird kind of a magnifying glass, and we lit the box on fire in about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yes, they have uh, parabolic cookers as well, which look like a huge solar, or not solar, uh, uh, radio telescopes. No, no, the, remember the old dishes they used to have for uh, satellite TV? Yeah. So they're parabolic reflectors, and they put, um, uh, aluminum foil or some other shiny surface, and it directs all the heat to the to the uh, point that would have been the antenna. But uh, you can boil water in those so fast it'll make your head spin. Yeah, and have you ever boiled water or, or tried to sterilize water in your sun oven? Um, absolutely. I have a, a post on my blog uh, about uh, using the WAPI. Yeah. Water purification um, uh, device and uh, putting water in the solar oven. The other thing that's nice is if you were in a survival situation or a camping situation, you could put your meatloaf or your um, casserole on one side of the oven and then a couple of quarts of water in canning jars on the other side. Then you'll have dishwater. Okay. Or water to, uh, you know, take a, take a sponge bath or something, and you're, you're doing it all at the same time. You don't even need to reopen the oven. And remember also with, with the water, there's, there's two temperatures to keep in mind. If you're just looking to kill the germs in the water, you only have to get it to the 160-degree mark, and that's where the WAPI comes in. That That's when it melts is at 160 degrees. If you actually need to boil it off, then you have to go to 212, um, and that would be if you've got water that has um, hard minerals, um, salts, and that sort of thing that needs to come out. Right. So um, for most folks, you don't actually have to get it up to the really high temperature to, to use the water. Okay. And, and I guess uh, looking at some of the literature I've got uh, says that it's not any real big deal to get a to get a sun oven up to 360, 400 degrees. Right. And then it would only be, you know, a short period of time to get the water inside up to 160. And you right. want to know that so you're not wasting time because you could be purifying more water. Um, if you wait till it boils, you have to wait for the bubbles to form on the side of the container. You're, go- you're going much higher than you need to. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're going... From the hundred, you, you only need to be at one hundred sixty, and then you're taking it to two twelve, which is two twelve. Yeah, which is just about doubling it. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, Amazon. What else can you think of that uh, that you've done well, with it? 
is candle making. And I take, um, my husband and I work in a, in a wedding business, and so we have a lot of burnt candles and, and so forth. And I take my old tin cans from my green beans and my peas, uh-huh. and as we get wax scraps, I throw them into the cans. When I get a load of cans, I take them out to the sun oven, set them in for the afternoon, and then I hang wicks on um, little wooden skewers. Yeah. Open the lid and let my wax harden, and I have a whole batch of candles for free. Okay, there you go. Yeah, because I know that wicks and, and, and bricks of wax and stuff is something that I've saved up. I haven't done anything with it. It was just something I found on sale, and I, I just stored it up. Um, See, now you just need to eat more green beans, and you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll go with the corn. <laughs> I'm okay with <laughs> green beans. I like cans of corn. Now, as far as the, using the sun oven as an oven, um, we kind of figured, I, I kind of understand the temperature range. What about the times? How, how much? How, how long does it take times to cook something? It's a little bit longer than your regular oven because it's not going to preheat in, you know, five or ten minutes. Um, you're going to have to wait for the food temperature to come up to the internal temperature of the oven, and that's a little slower. So, um, I don't, you know, I just kind of double it or triple it. You kind of watch the food. If you're watch, if you're doing cookies or um, ribs, you can see when they're done. They've caramelized on the top. They've browned. Same thing with your bread. Um, one loaf of bread takes about 45 minutes. Two loaves of bread take about an hour and 10 minutes. Okay, where normally it's only about a half an hour. Right. Okay. Okay. So your cooking times are going to be a little bit longer, and you'll learn that right away. Um, it won't take too much experimentation. The nice thing about the solar oven, especially if you use a pot with a glass lid, is you can actually put a food thermometer in your food, and then you can look through the, the glass lid and see what the temperature, internal temperature of the food is. Inside the food, right. Right, right I so noticed. if you want it 160, 170, you're there. You right. You can tell tell when your food's, you know, finished. Right, because I noticed on the sun oven uh, that, that, that Amazon has uh, that it's got the thermometer in, just inside the glass. Right, and that's measuring air temperature. Right. Um, and, and for the most part, all of the contents of the oven are about the same temperature, but when you first put it in, the food will be colder in the center um, than the uh, air temperature for quite some time. Okay. Okay, what were you saying? Yeah, every time... Like, if you have to open the lid, you always want to give it about 15 extra minutes after cooking time because you're letting out heat. So you got to give it another 15 minutes to let it re- right, reheat the right. oven. Right, So you just, if you're if you're opening it, give it 15 more minutes. Add that back on to your time because you're letting the heat disperse when you open the lid. So if you're impatient like me, it could take forever. It could, forever. <laughs> now, that, that's untrue because you'll find in the solar oven... In the oven, you have heating elements on the bottom of the oven, so things will burn on the bottom and then be um, relatively uncooked on the top. Okay. With the sun oven, you have no direct heat source, so you want to make sure that you raise that um, casserole pan an inch or so above the bottom of the oven so that the warm air can circulate underneath, but you don't have any point in the oven where you have uh, 500 degrees, let's say, coming off a heating element. So when you put rice and beans in there, you can leave those all day, and it will never burn on any part of the pan. Okay, because there's no direct heat. There's no direct heat. Right, okay. Okay. You can burn cookies. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not They'll do that. They'll be burnt all the way around. They won't be burnt just on one side. So. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be crusty all the way on the outside. <laughs> right. Okay. What other kinds of... Now, you guys are... Uh, I guess when it comes to 
preparedness, everybody kind of has their scenario. Um, your book is based off of a, uh, off of an EMP. Um, are you guys strictly looking at EMP, or are you looking at everything? We're looking at everything. We think EMP is probably a low probability. It was just something fun to write a book about because it's so complete. You know, your loss of electricity is so complete. But I think that the uh, better chances that we would have um, cyber terrorism or something that would take down the grid, we just overload the grid, uh, something like that. Yeah, I mean, here recently we we just we started getting some rain here, you know, which is kind of normal for you know, for December, and all of a sudden we had power flickering, and then a couple of days later, for about a week, phones were coming and going, so, and it, nobody nobody really knows why. You know, and it ended up just being probably a tree limb or something. Who knows? But all this weird stuff's going on, and I guess you don't, you know, being preppers, we understand it. You don't know how much you need something until it's gone. Absolutely, and and, you know, a lot of this is very localized. Um, Since we're in the in the Arizona area, you know, we do not worry about snowstorms here. That last last thing on our list. We don't worry about earthquakes. We don't worry about tornadoes. Um, our main concern really comes to um, the infrastructure. We are dependent upon water through the pipes. We're dependent upon electricity and Internet through the system. Once we lose any one of those three, we're in trouble. Um, we, lose, we lose water because all of our water is pumped from the reservoir system into the canal systems. So um, the minute we lose water here... Um, we're in a perilous situation. And it's not like you can throw on your bug out bag and, and walk 20 miles to the woods and be safe. There is no water for a long time. Right. And now do people do people there have wells? Do they dig wells? Because here everybody, almost every property that we know of out here has got a well on it. No, our, well, our um, aquifers are very, very deep. And it's very, very rocky, very expensive to dig wells. And uh, most people are on some type of city water. We live way out in the southeast corner of Phoenix right now, and the only reason this community's here is because someone came in and did a municipal water system. Otherwise, um, it's very, very difficult. There are a few scattered homes that have wells, but that's the exception and not the rule. When, when you leave the urban area, then everybody has a well. But those are scattered ranches um, and, and houses. Uh, so you're, you're going to have wells, but... The vast majority of the people aren't anywhere near them. Right, and in those wells, I mean, a lot of those wells are probably old, old wells, aren't they? Yes, and, and we're, we're, we're very deep here. Um, it, it depends on, of course, how close you are to riverbeds and things like that. But if you're in the desert, you're looking at an easy um, 800, you know, 1,000-plus-foot dig to get a well in. Very expensive, um, not done. You can get shallower wells if you're near um, riverbeds and the uh, the washes right see because like here here on on my property i've got a 60 foot well it, it's the big bore well it's, it's three and i guess three and a half feet across um but it's 60 foot deep which is considered a very shallow well but it's sitting in 30 30 foot of water nice so that's nice, nice. now everybody says well you I, and I, have, I still haven't gotten it tested yet um to see if the water's any good it may not be really all that potable just do the minerals and stuff but I can still use it to, for irrigation. Now, there's a guy next door. He just had a well dug, and he's down at 500. Right. So that's that's he's down in the aquifer. So that's really good. But 
Yeah, I guess every different region has their issues, and yours is water. Where Texas, we, you know, we're we kind of brag because we've got our own grid. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, we've got our own industry. We've got our own coastline. We're pretty self-sufficient if we had to be to, to handle stuff. And I guess we don't have the the heat and the desert issues that you guys have, where you know if, if you know if something happens, you know we we can go and get in get into uh, uh, protection of you know, of the woods or whatever out here. Right. We have um, you know nearly five million people in metropolitan Phoenix, and we don't have woods for more than a hundred miles. Yeah, that's just too many people for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't like going. I don't like going to, t- to cities with more than like three thousand people, and even then, that, that's a lot of people. Um, what other kind of cooking do you guys do outside? I mean, I know that we here, um, the Amazon's getting ready to get me schooled up in the uh, with the solar oven. Um, uh, we do some smoking uh, with smoke houses. They look like outhouses when we're done with them, but they end up being smokers. Uh, and you can do jerky and stuff like that. Do you guys do anything like that? Um, we don't. You can make jerky in the solar oven. Uh, it won't be smoked, but um, it will pass. Um, we, we use our grill most of all, I would say. And then the days that we would happen to have a cloudy day, of course, we can use the crock pot. And we also have a uh, toaster oven sitting on the back. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have plans for one of the uh, rocket stoves if we need to. Or not rocket the ones with the uh, bricks, yeah, the rock stuff. So if we needed to, the problem here is we have no wood. That was one of my next so, questions: is what are you burning? I mean, are you using propane for a lot of this? Yeah, propane. So the only thing that's really preparation for us is the sun oven. Yeah, yeah, because we we did a rocket stove experiment here a while back, um, and we've done a couple of different versions. We did one with brick, and I guess. Like like the like the sun oven, you have to use it and get experience with it. Just having it, and knowing the instructions aren't good enough, you have to practice with it to see what's going to work. Because the first rocket stove we tried didn't really work all that well. It was hard to start, and then we figured out how to start it. Um, we did another one where we took a pine log and we chainsawed down down the length of it into like a, a star, cut it like a pie. And we tried that, and with that, I think we got water. We got a teapot whistling in in like ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Nice. But again, yeah, we, if we're going to burn wood here, we're going to be burning baseboards and um, and uh, <laughs> interior doors pretty quick. Yeah, and that's that's not going to last long, is it? Nope. <laughs> okay. Um. Now you said now did you get your instructions for uh, for building your sun oven off the internet? Where'd you get that? And, um, you know, they had the uh, angles of the glass and uh, the interior dimensions and so forth. So basically, I experimented. My solar oven reached about 280. Uh, to get up to 300 was a really good day. Yeah. So, but it's made out of plywood, literally. And um, a window that came off my sister's remodel when she redid her kitchen. Okay. So I had very little cost in that. And I have used it for several years. So... You know, for the money, it was fine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Free, free, and cheap is is really good. Now, uh, now, now that you've got your your sun oven, uh, how long have you had this one? Uh, a couple of months now. Okay, and and did you get it from Amazon? Where did you get it? We got it off of eBay, so it's okay. one of the older models. But I bet you they never cooked in it. Um, you know, if the condition was was practically brand new, it's been in the box for a while. 
Okay. And we, we've got friends that we, we pick on them because everything they've got still in the box. You know, yes. where we tell people, yeah, you got to get it out and use it. Um, and Amazon, where'd you get yours? You get yours directly through Sun Oven? Um, yes, both, yes, both of the Sun Oven brands. Okay. Um, and I'd be interested to see if, if, if Amazon's got them. I'm sure that you can get them through there, but you're going to want to find the cheapest place to get it that you can. Yeah. I know Amazon does sell them. Um, you're, you're looking at about around $350 for a brand new one, and that's the includes your pots, your pan, and your dehydrating racks. Right, because this, I was, I was amazed when this came in. I mean, when she said it was a sun oven, I'm like, okay, well, this shouldn't really be any big deal. And it was, it was a little heavier than I thought it was going to be, but it's because it was, it had all the cookware inside. Yeah. So it was, but it, it's pretty neat. And we're, I'm kind of excited about once we get over this cloud cover and get above the 30 some degrees, um, we'll, we'll see what it does. Um, now, um, let's talk a little bit about post grid. Let's talk a little bit about your book. Now, I was listening to an interview that y'all did um, on on a blog. Uh, there was a blog you sent me. Um, but that was more that, that interview was more about the production and and getting the book out. Right. Where I'd like to talk more about the book because because we're we're I mean you know uh, you know getting a book out and getting it marketed and all that that's where that interview was going. Where I want to know about the book itself because we're big you know we're big readers. I mean I read everything James Rawls did one second after uh, of course uh, 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 Glenn Tate. I'm in the middle of his series. I mean, we, we read quite a bit. But yours um, yours is a, uh, it, the cover says it's an Arizona EMP adventure, um, but it's but it's also got a, a funny twist because it's got a love story in it. Right. So that's kind I of a... I wanted our book to be more about homesteading, um, not so much Rambo, everyone's getting their throats cut with Bowie knives. Right. That wasn't our style. So we kind of moved our characters off into the uh, into the hinterlands of the desert there, and then let them reform a small community. Okay. Uh, now I just I just scanned over just some of the uh, literature that uh, that's out on the book, and I haven't gotten the book yet. Um, how where did where did you get your research for the for the EMP section? We researched everything we could find. So we we did a lot of the uh, scientific papers. We read different accounts of, um, you know, the events in Hawaii and, I don't know. Yeah, the, the coronal mass ejection and whatnot. What, what, the thing about the researching the EMP stuff is when, when it's all said and done, there's a lot of theories and very little actual research. Right. It's all very, it's all very theoretical because it's, we're just now coming into the electronic world where everything is so sensitive. Right, and, and there, there have been some studies on cars and car parts um, with electronic pulses, but the studies were written such, well, you can you can use this car to, to research, but the moment anything breaks on it, you have to stop. So, you know, the, the, the people who were doing the research weren't really able to go in and say, well, you know, at this level, X, Y, and Z happened, because the moment something stopped working, we had to stop the experiment. Right. And, and so, you know, I have friends that are engineers, and they are quite certain that they know what's going to happen, but none of them agree with each other either. Right. Everybody's got their own theory on it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, now, you guys have got, you guys have got the, the uh, post-grade is out. Yes. 
correct? How long has post yes. how long has Compose Grid been out? We've been out since the end of November. Okay, okay. And this is and this is an ebook format only? It is. Okay. Okay, and then and then um, I heard that you guys also have I guess the baseline set up for multiple other books. We do. Um, this is the first of a three book series, hopefully. Uh, we're still writing the second book. Um, the first book is going to be the direct aftermath of the EMP. The second book is the wagon train to Utah, where they have water. And then the third book is set to be Rebuilding of Society. Okay. Okay. And, and you guys actually went on a research trip to research all of the, I guess, to set, set it all up, because you guys went on a little mini vacation, which turned into your research project, didn't you? Yes, and it, that was a wonderful adventure for us. Um, we looked at all the different topography in the state, you know, where the uh, wagon train would be moving through, when they would hit uh, areas that they could use forested for wood, that type of thing. But then we actually talked to people along the way uh, that were elderly, that remembered the old days of sheep herding and, you know, butter making. And one woman told us about when uh, one winter her mother didn't fill all the canning jars she owned and she sat in the living room and cried. So she knew that her family depended on the food that was put up from the summer to get them through the winter. Right. Right. Now, remember, prepping, everybody thinks prepping is a new phenomenon, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years. Oh, prepping. We're only two generations away from when prepping was the normal. Well, and the thing is, is it's, it it just keeps changing names because now it's prepping where, you know, five, eight years ago, everybody was called survivalists. But then prepping has a softer tone to it than survivalist. And, you know, the whole time there was always homesteading, you yes. know, and just and then there was farming, and then there was just what Granny did. Yes. I mean, it was just... It was it, the ultimate prepping. Yeah, it was, just, it was what it was. It didn't have a name. It was just what everybody did. Mm-hmm. But now I think prepping has changed in that everybody, or it's being called prepping, but everybody's actually focusing more on the what-ifs. And I guess what worries a lot of us is the people who are staying attached to the to the grid or to the way things are with electronics everybody's everybody loves their on their on time on demand system mm-hmm. their on time inventory and when that on time inventory shuts down for whatever reason it's it's bad i agree with you most people have very few days worth of food and uh, no really no alternate cooking methods Along with that, people don't realize how not only tied we are to the electrical system, but to the Internet. Um, A large part of what happens in society now is directly related to commands coming through the Internet. Um, And when the Internet goes down, stuff stops working. And what we're talking about there is you can't use your debit card. You can't go to Walmart and swipe anything, you know, to to buy. You can't, um, we can't get water. But remember, all of the trucking systems are all dependent on scheduling and um, inventory loads and everything based on internet systems. Right. Yeah. Well, I know that I know that every now and then I'll be out working and I'll get a I'll get a text, you know, out and it says uh, the internet's down, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's like a catastrophe. Yes. And I'm like, well, there's nothing I can do from where I'm at, but okay. And I just end up calling the phone company and go, hey, the internet's down. And they go, yeah, we've got some spotty outages of Internet and phones down in your area. You know, and an hour later, they're back up. But 
we're so dependent on it. I mean, I know, you know, my kids, they lose their mind if they can't, if they can't be, you know, YouTubing something or, or, or Netflix or whatever. It's just, you know, and, and like you said, the, you know, the on, on time demand systems, the scheduling, just getting a text out. I mean, can you imagine what happens, you know, when kids can't text their friends? Sure. Well, not only that, but look, look at, in the old days, I, I grew up with, with a family that had stores from time to time. And there are no stores right now that have a cigar box with cash in it. So when the, when the electrical goes down, when the internet goes down, those cash registers stop working, especially the electrical. Right. Not only can they not get into the cash registers, they don't have the ability to make change with cash. Yeah. Yeah, I know that, uh, I, I, I work in an industry where, of course, they gave me an app for my phone to do my what inventory I've used, what I've done, close out my paperwork, get a signature on my phone with a finger. And when that app crashes, it sets everybody behind. I mean, the app can be down for two days, and it sets everybody behind for weeks because now everybody, there's no more paperwork to do this. And you know? I'm a nurse, and we uh, use the Internet for all of our scheduling at the hospital. So if a patient needs a lab or they want something like chicken for dinner or you need the social worker to come, all of that's scheduled online. We really don't have a backup unless we send runners with a slip of paper to all of these different departments to, to take care of that. Yeah, see, so I've noticed that. way from physical to, to uh, computer scheduling systems. Yeah, I've noticed that. I've noticed that when I go to the doctor is that my nurse walks in and she's got a tablet. Mm-hmm. And she's sitting there doing stuff on the tablet and writing stuff on the tablet. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, in in a 100 years, we're going to have these huge thumbs as we evolve from all the texting and tablet work we're doing. So, now, you guys both come from, uh, uh, from uh, let's see now, Nancy, you're a nurse. And, Tony, what was your background? Um, I'm, I'm, my background is in law enforcement. I'm also a, a paramedic. So I started out... Um, as a deputy U.S. Marshal, I was hired here in Arizona and went to Los Angeles and then went up to uh, the Portland area. Okay. And I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm a deputy constable now here in, in Maricopa County and, and being from Texas, you know what constables are. Oh, and I know all about Maricopa County. Everybody loves Sheriff, Sheriff Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, for, for the folks that aren't familiar with constables, it's kind of like the sheriff for the Justice of the Peace. Right, and we, uh, we've got some friends of ours who are constables and they used to say that the uh, the sheriff was the pretty much the most powerful person you know in the country because he's he's the closest elected official to uh, to the people. We're actually we're kind of thinking now that it's more like the constable is. <laughs> so and then and then apart from that, I, I am a paramedic. Um, uh, Nancy and I have a lot of volunteer time as as uh, fire uh, with the fire departments. Um, we also did volunteer search and rescue, um, so we, we we spent a lot of and, and time with Civil Air Patrol, uh, which is uh, an auxiliary of the Air Force. Now, did did a lot of this experience from your background did it, did it play into the book? Absolutely, um, in Civil Air Patrol in particular, but in search and rescue in general, uh, it's all about navigation, survival, fire building, shelter building, all of those outdoor type skills, and uh, we trained and trained for many, many years doing all of that. Thank goodness we never, not, I won't say never, but we rarely used it. Uh, you know, we had helicopters to bring us in and out and jeeps and, you know, so forth. 
Right. But uh, but trained in that, and then trained in the area that we write about in this book. Right, right. So you have actual knowledge of, of the, the the problems and the challenges you're going to deal with without the, yes. you know without without the grid. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then. Uh, I had some other questions here. Now you, you mentioned that you've got a blog. I know that your your Facebook page is uh, it's Facebook dot com, uh, and then it's one word novel post grid. Okay. Uh, I just tur- went into the search engine and just typed in post space grid and it popped right up. Um, nice. But then you've also got a blog. Now tell us about tell us about the blog. Now my blog is um, at Blogspot. So you, what you do is you type in solar oven cookery dot blogspot. And you don't even need a com. So solarovencookery.blogspot, and that will take you to the Solar Oven blog. Okay. Okay, and that's your blog. And that and then, now is that all on the Solar Oven? Uh, most of it's on the Solar Oven. Sometimes I find really neat things to throw in as well, like how to make your own laundry soap or um, you know, a little bit on dehydrating. And then, of course, I have pictures of my chickens, so... Yeah, yeah, we've all got pictures of our chickens. See, we do the same thing. I mean, we've got we've got the Facebook, we've got a YouTube. Um, of course, we we're all over on Pinterest and grabbing ideas and things. So I guess we're trying to get as much information out there as possible. Um, so the book is an ebook. Uh, where do you get the ebook? Amazon.com. Okay. And if you type in PostGrid, uh, we'll come right up. Okay. Okay, and and. In, in a previous interview that you guys did, um, I remember you guys saying that your goal was to, you know, basically just make your money back that you put into the book. How fast did that happen? Um, we paid for an editor, a blocker. A blocker is someone that puts the words on the page so that they looked um, correct when you bring it up. And a graphic designer to do our uh, Facebook header and the book cover. We had $800 all in and we made it back in three days. That's awesome, and that's off of an ebook. That's correct. Yeah, because that's that's awesome because ebooks are quite a bit you know less expensive than than a, than a hardback book. Are you guys going to go to uh, to paper and to hardback? We haven't decided yet. We've only been out for a little over six weeks. We've been overwhelmed with the response to our book. Um, just marketing and and doing the little radio sections and uh, trying to get out new print ads and talk to the newspapers. It's been let's say challenging. So we really have to look into what it takes to um, get the, ba- the book into paperback and then offer it on Amazon. I'm sure it won't be too difficult. We just haven't gotten there yet. Right. Amazon does do a print-on-demand, in other words, um, the limited selection of printing that they, that they make available. Um, but we just haven't gotten to that point to, to figure out whether we want to do that or not. Yeah, because I've been writing for a little while, and I've, I've been working on it, and that's been my challenge is just trying to get it. And I wasn't going to go with the e ebook side. I was going to go with the printed. And, yeah, there's it's, it's, it's a little expensive, and it gets out there. But for you guys to make your money back that quick, that's, that's pretty incredible. Right. And if you, go, if you go to our website, you'll see the um, link to the interview with the um, Creative Caravan. That's where we talk more about the marketing and um, you know, getting it put into to, to ebook format. We talked about our e-readers, our beta readers. So, if you wanted to know more about the business side, you can go and listen to that interview. Okay, well, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, have you guys got anything else you'd like to you'd like to throw in there on, on the book, or anything else that you guys have that you'd like to talk about? We just had a really good time writing the book. 
Um, you know, it gave us something to do together, um, it, it, and it was just a lot of fun. We got we, both of us like researching things on the internet, and, and, and there were a lot of going out and looking at places, looking at things, talking to people. So that was just a blast to do. And the other thing is, you know, we, we wrote a story to entertain ourselves, and and that was just, you know, it was just a great time doing that. Well, that's cool. That's awesome. Okay. Well, we're coming up. We're coming up on. Uh we're coming up on uh, 45 minutes, so we'll go ahead and uh, cut it off here. Um, we'll probably end up getting back with you all some more here before long because uh, this sounds really interesting, and I, I'd like to see where the book goes. Uh, I'm going to go out and get the book uh, so, I, so I can read it when I finish with the book I've got in hand, uh, give myself a little Glenn Tate break and go to something else. Um, and we'll, see, uh, we'll be seeing you all again. We appreciate you coming by. Uh, thank, thank you very much, Nancy and Tony. Yeah, thank you. I, I look forward to reading your book and... I appreciate the information that you gave us today, and I can't wait to check out your blog. Oh, and thank you, Amazon. Uh, feel free to send uh, solar oven pictures my way, and I'll post them on the blog for you. All right. Thank you. I sure will. And, and to both of you, I mean, if both of you, as we when we post this podcast uh, on our page and on, on, uh, on Bob's page, um, we, will, uh, we, we welcome people to throw on the recipes on the link that we'll throw up for it. And when you get to uh, today's survival show, uh, to the podcast, uh, there's also a forum. So I'll send you all the links on that so you can get into the forum. And that's really where we get asked, you know, people ask questions and answer questions and we start networking back and forth. So that's really neat for, for you guys and for everybody else listening to the podcast. That's wonderful. Well, we look forward to talking to you again. Okay, we appreciate it. And uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off here and send this over to Bob. All right, many thanks to Mexican Joe and Tony and Nancy Martineau. Uh, by the way, get their book, Post Grid. And thank you, by the way, for Amazon being on this interview as well. If you want to get their book, their book Post Grid, an Arizona EMP in, uh, adventure, I think I'm going to get that. And I'm going to, since I'm going to have some time, some downtime here in the hospital to do a lot of reading, I think I'm going to get that. So uh, use my Amazon account. Go to todayssurvival.com, buy the book Post Grid off of my Amazon account so that I get a little bit of a commission on that. I, I'm an Amazon associate or an Amazon affiliate. So um, like I said, this is going to get released about a week from uh, the last one that was out. and I'm recording it on the same day as the last episode. So uh, out into the future, I will talk to you then. You know, listen, folks, i got to tell you, I am going to be uh, pretty laid up here for the next uh, three to six weeks. Next three weeks or so, I'm going to be, well, by the time you listen to this, I'll already be in the hospital for almost a week getting my stem cell transplant so I can finally beat this cancer once and for all. But I love doing this. I love doing these podcasts, and I really like it when some of my listeners and supporters get involved and share some good information for you. So, you know, show them some support. Get that book. Get it off of my Amazon account. Go to todayssurvival.com. Consider one of my Survival Champions Club podcasts, by the way. There's, I believe, six of them on there. Um, and the Survival Champions Club podcasts are podcasts that are customized. They're interviews. I have selected different topics. And it's never been aired on this show before. Glenn Tate. Uh, is one of the people that I interview. He um, 
he teaches us how to build a, pr- a prepper team. You remember when I remember when I uh, interviewed Glenn and I asked him about the team that he has? Well, I asked him to tell me how does he build that team? How did he get to know people? What do they do and how do they stick together as a team? Well, part two of that interview you can purchase to support my show. That's $25. White Bear, uh, and by the way, I'm still trying to get a hold of him. I know he was raided and, you know, there are some... There are some legal, delicate legal issues there, and so that might be why he's not communicating right now, but that is kind of puzzling. But he did a great interview with me on survival mentors, how to set up a mentor, somebody that can coach you, and how to find someone who's a survival uh, mentor. Uh, John Neusser, I-, I interview him on self-defense. Mexican Joe did a great interview with Ghost on um, militia and prepping. So that was pretty good, too. And then there's some older versions also that I have on uh, herbs, how to use herbs and how to, you know, make a knife and how to sharpen knives properly and things like that. So there's probably about seven or eight. You can get the whole collection. I'll email them all to you. It's about, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's about eight podcasts for $75. If you want the whole the whole ball of wax, it's only 75 bucks for eight podcasts. Not bad. Or you can get them for $25 each. Just go over to todayssurvival.com and look for the, ch- the Survival Champions Club over in the right-hand margin. And that's how you can do that to support my show as well. I will email you a download link from uh, probably from Dropbox where you can uh, get those. And they're those those will be yours to keep. You can have those those podcasts as well as everything else but they're going to be yours to keep so you can share them with other people but it is unique information that hasn't been on this show before and so with that said uh thank you for listening to episode number 256 of today's survival show on on solar ovens many thanks to everybody the four of you that were that did this interview you, you know they you donated your time i very very much appreciate that i will figure out how to repay you someday With that said, thanks for listening to today's survival show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. I'm Bob Main, and I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye.